0: Hi, welcome to Timely Issues, the podcast. Thank you for taking uh, an hour, at least I hope it's an hour, out of your day, your valuable time, and my, my hope is to make it worthwhile and to further the dialogue about long-term care in the United States and the UK. I've used the title Failure to Thrive as an homage to one of the papers that uh, was produced back in 2014, I think, that first scoped out for me the real difficulties involved in, this, in the long-term care sector. Failure to thrive generally describes a complex array of chronic conditions which, in an aging person, uh, result in a general deterioration and a general failing in health and I believe that that situation describes what's occurring in long-term care uh, very accurately. What I'd like to talk about today is the current situation as well as what might happen regarding recovery. Uh, The news hasn't been good, uh, continues to come in in pretty difficult uh, tranches. This was an article from one of the New Yorker Magazine Supplements The American nursing home design is a failure and while I disagree with the glib nature of the article, I must say that it's generally uh, not untrue. What we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about structures, programs, technology and information systems, means of production, which in these markets means um, labor, culture, and outcomes. And we're also, we will talk a bit about economics and how they are impacting this failure to thrive in long-term care. Please understand that I'm fond of definitions. They describe generally where we start and how to uh, deconstruct a problem. And this is nothing less than a crisis. And a crisis of course is an adverse event Which has an impact on your brand and the brand long term care, the brand congregate care, nursing homes, all of these brands are being damaged badly in the current uh, pandemic and the aftermath. Uh, The question, of course, is what can we do to save and salvage what we can from the sector? Now, for those of you who are in long term care and in particular, in the nursing sector or the care home sector, nursing homes in the US, care homes in the UK, um, what you're wondering, of course, is whether the market will recover. Uh, And of course, the question is, it will, won't it? Um, There are durable segments to the long-term care markets. And these are, in the skilled nursing uh, and nursing home environment, The durable segments are those consumers who have no choice. These are individuals who are poor, very sick, often with neurological or neuromuscular diseases, or with memory loss, such as Alzheimer's or cognitive impairments that are are not dementia. These individuals will continue to require congregate care. So these segments aren't going to go away, as they say, anytime soon. Not so much for assisted living and home care. These segments are having a different uh, reaction, a different consequence as the result of the pandemic. Assisted living residences, for many, the uh, intake has stopped and the uh, departures have slowed, so there's some stabilization there. I've even talked to some clients who have reported to me that they are admitting consumers to their assisted living residences. Uh, I think these, however, are the exception rather than the rule. Home care, on the other hand, is indeed experiencing a very serious, very significant growth in interest. Uh, The real question with home care is labor and the means of production. And we'll talk about that in a a moment. Uh, The other thing that we'll look at is the likely recovery models. I've done some uh, mathematical modeling to show what I believe will be the recovery rates and patterns in both skilled nursing or nursing homes and assisted living. And the recovery, the actual recovery, depends on the depth, length, and the shape of the recovery. I think we have two basic scenario options, uh, and I've reviewed this in my prior uh programs which I hope you'll access as well. One is that the sector will be rebuilt and recharged. Certainly we see some signals of that, uh, although after serving in the in the in in this sector since 1985, um forgive me if I'm a little skeptical. And the other scenario is that this sector will be further ravaged and relegated Further neglected politically and used as a football for all of the excuses. Uh, That's in large part what this article is about from the New Yorker. It appeared in the Intelligencer uh, saying that long term care, congregate long term care, and in particular nursing homes in the United States, were the result of a collision between poor policy choices, 1965's. Era mid 1960s era construction and real estate uh, profiteering. Uh, I commend this article to you. It makes for tough reading. I don't agree with all of the things that the authors the author was stating, but it is indeed a sobering look at the dimensions of the problem. On the other hand, we have uh, people from uh, Harvard School of Public Health. Dave Krabowski, whom I have enormous respect for, saying that we can look for big, big changes to the nursing home regulation as a result of the pandemic. Well, I have a couple of questions about that. First is, let's define big. I I may have a very different idea of what we mean by big, and I'll introduce some changes later in this presentation, which I would suggest are big. And then uh, the issue of nursing home regulation. Now, it's been said, and I believe this is true, that nursing homes are more heavily regulated in the United States than nuclear power plants. I've certainly seen the shelves of regulatory manuals on my clients' uh, offices' bookshelves, and each of them has some element that needs to be observed. It doesn't make a shred of sense to me to take a sector that is fundamentally on the brink and to add more regulation. In fact, if anything, we need to remove regulation and more carefully evaluate what can and should be done to save the sector. Well, I've promised some uh, arithmetic or mathematical reviews of what I believe will be the recovery pattern for skilled nursing, and this is what I believe it is. Uh, Current penetration rates uh, of the aged population segments is roughly 1.6 pre COVID. And the question is whether we'll ever get back this loss in the uh, market demand, the market acceptance for skilled nursing. With assisted living, the pattern is different. There will be a recovery, there will be a loss in some confidence loss in trust and loss in market voice or market share for the sector but that will be marketplace by marketplace and very much driven by how those managers in those marketplaces manage this particular uh, crisis Uh, the domains i'd like to talk about here are the physical structures the programs so the built environment the programmed environment technology and information Means of production, which here means labor, culture, outcomes, and economics. First, to structures. The original PPE was property, plants, and equipment. Most of the nursing homes in the United States were built between 1960, actually 1965, and 1975. They were modeled. They were Hill Burton. Uh, they were resulted from the Hill Burton Act. They were modeled on hospitals. Long straight corridors, efficient for the Caregivers, but not very attractive for the consumers. Assisted living, on the other hand, is a relatively new construction, uh, new uh, product in the United States and in the UK. So the product is newer and it attracts a market rate consumer and family member. Since then, and the assisted living market started in the early 1990s. Since then, especially in nursing homes, there's been little or no reinvestment. Capitalization in the sector has been extractive, meaning that the cap- capitalization that's that's capitalization, the capital formation which has occurred in the sector, has been extractive. People have removed, organizations have removed money from the sector through a variety of mechanisms, and the federal government has withdrawn fiscal support. Now, the federal government supports the sector, the nursing home sector in particular through the Medicaid program and the assisted living uh, sector, partially through the Medicaid waiver program. But the federal government pretty much washed its hands of long-term care decades ago when it realized that at the trajectory it was on then, it couldn't support the sector. The result, I've said here, yuck. The current author of the article about the American nursing home market says it's a a bad design model, it's a failed design model. And my question here is, would you stay in a Hilton that hadn't been renovated for 40 or 50 years? Well, no, you wouldn't unless you had to. So what do we need? First of all, we need a wide array of physical structures to accommodate the needs and preferences of many different populations. The population that should consume and would consume congregate senior care is not a monolith. They are finely segmented groups of individuals in most of the marketplace areas, some of whom prefer large uh, buildings with many units, and some prefer small buildings with only a few units. There's been a call recently for smaller structures, mostly in the wake of the Uh, rapid movement of the pandemic, the infectious disease through congregate care centers, uh, the, the line of reasoning going, and there's some evidence to back this up, that with smaller properties, infectious diseases move more slowly through the population. And while that's true, it's very, very difficult, as many of you know, to make these numbers work. Um, a big part of the work that Stackpole and Associates does is around market analysis and feasibility studies. It's very difficult to make small unit like greenhouse model um, assisted living or skilled nursing units work financially. Uh, large like college dormitories with attractive common spaces will be appealed to certain segments. Medium sized like assisted living residences will appeal to other market segments and small like McMansions for small groups of related, unrelated individuals. Think Golden Girls uh, as as an example. Supply studies have been benchmarking, but not qualitative qualitative analysis. What can the investors extract versus contribute? The real estate undergirds this sector. So the questions are. What can we do to invest in the sector with the proceeds from those investments staying in the sector? The other issue for structure, and this is an overlap, is telecommunications and information infrastructure, which is extremely poor in the vast majority of nursing homes and moderate to average in most assisted living residences. And the critical issue here is access to capital. Who can afford this stuff? Only people who can access capital. And in the current environment, with occupancies down, with the uh, admissions slowed to a creep in most locations, accessing capital promises to be even more difficult in the near term. And we can watch these patterns working out, working themselves out in the capital markets as well. Why don't we get what we need? Well, first of all, uh, we need a new federal Hilburton Act. So we had the Hilburton Act, and the Hilburton Act was a way to populate the United States with health care, hospital, and nursing home providers. And it succeeded. There's no reason we can't do something similar at this time. The United States and the U.K. have flooded the capital markets with cash. Uh, there is an opportunity here to carve out some pieces, to give access to capital so that nursing centers in particular and even assisted living residences can rebuild to better accommodate the populations that are with them now and are uh, awaiting in the wings. Uh, The other reason why we don't get what we need is that the existing operators have a pattern of competing with each other. So there's little collaboration state to state with the state assisted living residences or nursing home operators going to the uh, going to the policymakers uh, in order to uh, plead their case for what's needed. And I'm not talking about a day on what a day on the Capitol Hill, um, the American Healthcare Association or Leading Age pleading for more money. Uh, once the bleeding is gone the pleading is over what we really need is we need a collaboration cooperation to focus on what we need and i'm going to talk further about that in addition to access to capital uh, the sector has focused on profit not the future so these many of you are uh, dealing with existential threats to your operations Uh, the cash Uh, The day's cash on hand in the sector by several studies was a pittance compared to what it is in many other sectors, which means that the nursing homes and assisted living residences, but nursing homes in particular, had very little resilience uh, for such a supply and demand side shock as we've experienced. And finally, I'm going to say it pays to confuse the consumer. We have done a poor job in the sector explaining to consumers how to navigate this incredibly complicated long-term care system. I'll talk further about that in terms of what I think we can do that's truly disruptive and a big, big change. Also, providers don't bargain together. Uh, it's true that there are associations, there's Leading Age, the American Healthcare Association, the American College of Healthcare Administrators, and others, but seldom do we see them truly going shoulder to shoulder and taking a stand on policy issues or taking a stand on innovations which would truly impact the sector. And I have to ask, uh, having been an employee of an organization that enjoyed the uh, a real estate investment trust, benefaction. The question is, do we need this arrangement in the sector at this time? And is there a way to migrate toward a more reasonable arrangement around how the property is held versus how the operator pays rent? Next, I'd like to move on to programs. The programs in long-term care are fundamentally broken down into two verticals. One is locationally-based programs and the other is need-based programs. And these are community-based, home-based, they're congregate, they're nursing, uh, and more. They're social-based. Some of them are in between ICE, IMPs, and PACE. How on earth did it get this complicated? We get calls on a regular basis from family and friends who are confused, don't know what to do, don't know how to navigate the system and can't decipher the language. The If the consumers and their families don't know what they want or need, why aren't we, the providers and the organizations that represent the providers, why haven't we been teaching them? Why haven't we been explaining the difference between home care, and the difference between nursing home care and home care, between hospice and home care, and can you get hospice while you're in skilled care? Can I get home care and then go into skilled care? I don't understand why these are not being explained through the sector, through the providers to consumers in the marketplace area. So what do we need? I'm gonna suggest that we uh, wipe the eraser board, wipe the the blackboard and focus on three things. One is that we need screening and triage. We need a way to identify what it is that people need using objective evidence-based criteria and then directing them to those channels so that they can access those services. The second principle is to fit the person to a program, not the payment. Most people are directed into particular programs based on the coverage that they have, the insurance coverage they have, or the types of payment systems they can access. This, to me, is completely backwards, and I expect it is to many of you as well. And the third thing is clear understandable choices. And my comment here is credit default swaps are simpler than long-term care choices. And maybe we need the movie, The Big Short, uh, which I thought explained credit default swaps quite cleverly for long-term care. Technology and information. The status of technology in long-term care is nothing less than embarrassing. And some of the very early difficulty and Uh, Pained conversations with families about their inability to get information, the outrage in the popular media, the popular press about the inability of the sector to provide accurate information is the direct result of the fact that we are the sector that modern healthcare technology left behind. The technology that is in place is focused on recording and regulation and reporting not on efficiency, not on staff efficiency, and mostly uh, on who can afford it. So the more upscale nursing centers, the nursing centers that had the better quality mix, the assisted living residences that had the uh, more higher paying populations, they could afford it, so they had this stuff. The bottom line is that most grocery stores, most grocery stores, have better technology than long-term care providers. So what do we need to do? The first is we need to have a priority that puts granny over tomatoes. Second, we need to look past things like personal emergency response systems, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. That's just not the kind of technology that's needed for today's environment. And the legacy-based, the legacy hospital-based systems are Uh, boat anchors. They're like rotary phones in the day of mobile phones. What we need is we need an internet of long-term care. We need real electronic health records that stretch across and through long-term care providers and that connect through interoperability interfaces all long-term care providers. And I mean all of them. The pharmacy providers, the home health care providers, the DME providers, the physicians, everybody. And then we need to look at something like that's being called ambient assisted living and how that will help our seniors gracefully and uh, more healthfully age in place. Um, So the means of production, the people, the question is, who cares? Well, there are a lot of people who do. Uh, non-paid and paid caregivers. The question these days is who wants to work in long-term care? This is an enormous question of immediate and exigent existential uh, urgency. We need to be looking at the effects of the pandemic on the sector, on the means of production employment in this sector. We need to consider what the sources have been up to this point and what the sources will be in the future. I talked about the means of production or staff serving in long-term care before. This is the latest data from Kaiser Family Foundation. There are about four and a half million long-term care workers in the United States, and you can see here how they break down where they work and the types of work that they do. Uh, Almost over 40 percent Uh, and this is pre-COVID now, over 40% worked in skilled nursing facilities. It'd be very interesting to see what that proportion is and how this particular pandemic impacts those proportions. So what's possible with regards to people and staffing? So the first question is, who wants to work in long-term care? There really are people who do, and it will take probably a generation to remove the stigma associated with working in long-term care. But I say, what are we waiting for? We should begin to do that now. Second, this is a disruptive innovation. We need a federal long-term care jobs act. This would allow us to release federal funds to retrain the roughly 10 million people or a selection of those people who are currently unemployed, whom I would propose should be screened for personality traits uh, other qualifications and for loyalty interest in and commitment to the sector we could use existing training centers and salaries need to be subsidized with suitable retention incentives it doesn't make any sense to go to the state house and plead for with to your uh, department of health and human services for more money to pay people, when those people are just coming through like a they're churning, they're coming in and going out, coming in and going out, that to me is a very poor investment. And I don't see how politicians are going to sign up for that. Culture. The culture in long-term care has been difficult at best. This is a rather dire picture of an environment in a long-term care center, but I'm sure you can all identify with this. Culture isn't something that you put on like a Band-Aid over an operation. It's something that's grown organically. And in all the survey work we've done around the United States, we can identify based on leadership characteristics where the culture is apt to increase retention and loyalty among staff and where it's a hindrance to loyalty and staff. So I want to focus on outcomes as well, because we put up quite an inventory of things to be reviewed and outcomes certainly needs to be considered. In the current quality, the QRP environment, the new data requires clinical results, which I would argue is only part of the story. So quality isn't necessarily a non-adverse outcome of a clinical intervention. Quality is the degree to which the service is free of defect. And who determines what a defect is? Well, certainly clinicians are in a position to evaluate whether or not uh, weight gain or weight loss is a defect, but so aren't the family members. The family members and the consumers themselves are in the best position. To tell us if the service we've offered is free of defects. In assisted living, it's common and routine for assisted living operators to survey family, residents, staff, and to evaluate quality in a pretty rigorous way. This has not been, this has less been done less frequently, less rigorously in long-term in nursing homes and other long-term care settings. Consumer satisfaction means. What do consumers want, what do they need, and what do their families want? And if they don't know what they want, why aren't we teaching them? This goes back to the first point about damage to the brand and the difficulties around the complexity of programs in long-term care, because we as a sector have done so very little to train our audiences about how to access our services and how to differentiate between what I need today, what I might need tomorrow, what's good, and what's poor. Now we come to economics, which is usually where people start, but it's really at the end of the line. So there are direct and indirect costs. Basically, the systems have been shortchanged for 30 years. We in the sector have put up with this in part because we've been able to cross-subsidize our operations by having a few private pay, a few Medicare, and then lots of Medicaid. And those few private pay, Medicare, and maybe some managed care, that has cross-subsidized the losses we've all tolerated in Medicaid. Now that the water has drained away from the stanchions holding up that structure, the rot is apparent and it can't continue. Medicaid cannot afford long-term care the way it's currently structured the way either medicaid is structured or the way long-term care is structured it's simply a non-starter medicare backed out 30 plus years ago uh, and consumers still today think that the government will pay for long-term care and this in spite of the fact that the united states alone enjoys about almost 500 billion dollars in value for non-paid care. These are family and friends who care for the sick elderly person next door, across the town, or across the street. There's also waste, misdistribution, lack of collaboration and fragmentation. All of these things contribute to the crazy cost model in long-term care. So here's some ideas that I want to float in order to get what i think we need in long term care and it's just right now it's what i think we need i believe there's general agreement about some of these things but my sincere hope is that this presentation along with prior presentations is really just the beginning a beginning of a discussion a meaningful discussion not about changing the color of the band-aids or rearranging the decks on the the the, the desk deck chairs on the on the deck of the Titanic, but really figuring out what it is that we need. First of all, we need a federal insurance program for long-term care. This is not rocket science. Every other OECD country has this. Japan did not. Japan faces an even more challenging demographic cliff than Europe or the United States, and Japan introduced long-term care insurance in 2010. And if they can do it, we can as well. We need a federal insurance program for long-term care. It's been introduced several times. It's been talked about, but as I suggest here, it's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Funding. It would be funded through a small increase in Medicare payroll deductions and small premiums, with a means test, so this would be progressive, small progressive premiums on Part A, Part C, and Part D, Medicare. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, this will create a kerfuffle, but we can afford this, (laughs) really. (laughs) Also, private long-term care insurance should be fully deductible. Uh, Private long-term care insurance has never reached a penetration above 12% in the United States. Its rate is a little lower in the UK. There's several reasons for that. And part of the reason is that consumers don't believe that there is a serious funding gap facing them for either their care in long-term settings or the care of their loved ones. So we need private long-term care insurance, fully deductible and We could create, this is what was done in Japan in part, create long-term care risk pools, but in each state. So each state would have its own long-term care risk pool and require those participating private long-term care insurance companies, that's health insurance providers, to spend a small fraction of 1%, half of 1% of the premiums on education communications, to catch up with what the sector hasn't done to teach consumers and the general public how to access our services, what they need, what's good about private long-term care insurance, what's available through public long-term care insurance, and what op- what their options are in terms of programs and needs. So that when uh, mother falls, when Mrs. Stackpole falls and breaks her hip at home. Young Mr. Stackpole isn't calling around frantically. Uh, He or or his other significant other know who to call. They know what to do uh, because they've heard about it. They've read about it. Their friends have talked about it. They've talked about it at dinner parties, if we ever get back to having dinner parties. So the next steps. I think the next step is to uh, look past the current situation, except that it's a complete design failure. It's, uh, to use a famous author's term, it's a foobar. So the next step is to look at a community of action. It isn't just policymakers. It isn't just providers. It isn't just people in the federal government. It's all of us. We need to address this, and the consequences of not addressing it are relegation and a very, very bad situation. There'll be uh, hundreds, hundreds of nursing homes that will go bankrupt when the cash runs out and they don't have any consumers knocking at their doors. We need an effective dialogue that includes all options, looks at the options, and sorts them out at both a state level and at a federal level. Washington State has introduced Uh, long-term care insurance, public long-term care insurance. Let's look at that model, see how it worked. Let's look at the Japanese model. I hope we don't have so much hubris that we can't look across borders for suggestions and ideas for what might work in the United States. And frankly, ladies and gentlemen, that's what leaders do. I'm calling on all the leaders, leading age and American healthcare association, the American college to step forward to engage in these conversations and to move the sector forward. The world we have created is a process, it's a result of our thinking. It can't be changed without changing our thinking. There's no scapegoats. We arrived at the current situation through a series of well-intentioned individual decisions, a series of uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of decisions about coverage benefits, Inclusions, exclusions, uh, payments, funding, good research done, crummy research done. We've gotten here through these decisions. We need to accept that and move on because the future without serious, significant change in long term care isn't very attractive, ladies and gentlemen. And many of us are going to look to a system that either isn't there, is too affordable, or is frankly unacceptable. So with that, I'm going to thank you all. If you enjoy these podcasts, please subscribe and be sure to tell your friends and colleagues. Thanks for listening.